0: Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey everybody, welcome to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. And today we get to talk about a question that a lot of pastors are wrestling with, and that is, you know what, I'm leading a church, but it's really hard to connect with guys. You know, women seem to be so much more spiritual than men. They read more books than men. They listen to more podcasts than men. They're just more spiritual than men. But how do I connect with the guy? Well, man's man himself, Brian Tome, is a pastor out of Cincinnati. This guy has had a motorcycle show on Amazon Prime. This guy has had wild horses literally on stage that have been broken. This is a guy that's done some crazy things in order to really connect with guys far from church. You're not going to want to miss this. Uh, it's simplifying how churches can reach men with Pastor Brian Tome. As always, we are on a mission to sponsor kids through Compassion International. You can go to compassioninternational.com slash rusty and you can sponsor a child today. I wanna make sure you do that because there's so many kids that have been left in the queue that never got sponsored because of COVID. So please take a moment today. The holidays are over. You're beginning to pay off your credit card. Take 40 bucks a month and change a child's life. It will drastically change the way you view the stuff that you have and the blessings that you receive. Today, we now get to have a conversation with Pastor Brian Tome, so excited for you to hear this. Well, Brian, for our listeners who don't know you, um, tell us just 90 seconds,
1: you know, Brian Tome in a nutshell. Who are you? My name is Brian Tome. I was born at a very early age (laughs) And, uh, and then I was adopted. And I came to know Christ, came to into a personal relationship with Jesus around the age of 15, 16, and went from there, went to college, and then I started a church in Cincinnati known as Crossroads. It's then branched out in a couple different states. And uh, I feel a, I, I feel a real burn to continue to grow the people who are inside the church and grow people, grow the church, what new people come to the church. But I've also, in the last several years, really honed into a sense of calling around men, of helping men in our country. So I've been having fun putting some energy towards that while I've got three kids of my own and two grandkids. Wow,
0: that's fantastic. Now, you and I met years ago. I'm thinking it's probably got to be 20 years ago when I was in Lexington. You had just started in Cincinnati. I remember being at one of your schools for church, going to that, and then obviously seeing the building be built out. The legend of Brian Tome is that, and tell me if I'm right here, you guys tried to do a capital campaign to build the building and you wanted to raise, I think, $4 million and you raised 10. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, I think it was 9.6 or something like that that we raised. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do our, the first campaign. We've done We've done four campaigns. That was our first one.
0: I mean, how'd you do that? How, how did you? Because you had primarily unchurched people with no church past decide to jump into that level, other than the act of God. I mean, what did you see going on there?
1: Oh man, well, uh, it, it certainly was a thing of God, no question about it. It it just it just was and is. Campaigns they just stretch you um, to to your capacity, and as a young pastor, I. I I just put myself into it entirely. It was endless meetings with people, endless contact meetings with people, and you're just talking vision over and over and over and over again. And We had enough folks who were tired of being in a rented school and setting up and tearing down and believed in the vision of what God was calling us to that people just really came out. I I also think, Rusty, when I look at it, is one of the reasons why campaigns can be so effective and successful or at least appear to be, is because most churches are not really intentional and aggressive around giving unless it's a campaign. Mm. So we did a series a couple years ago, 18 months ago, something like that, a couple of years ago, called The Blessed Life. Have you, have you heard of that series? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, Robert Morris from Texas. Mm-hmm. And we just, it's the first series that we, we actually copied. The we did the outlines, copied the outlines, word for word, and we work with Gateway on it. And Robert, he's a really good guy. And that six weeks, six week thing that's basically about tithings and offerings and all of that stuff. I mean, it jacked up our our, our giving skyrocketed and it stayed there. Hmm. It actually was so um, influential on in our people's personal spiritual development, and in what our church could do. I just thought, man. I— Hmm. did we miss the ball on all these campaigns? What would have happened you know 20 years ago or for our first campaign if we had just tried to get people tithing and we just had a church that was going into that waters where would we be right now? So right I, I think campaigns have been good and effective for us. We've done five of them everyone or four of them everyone we've done has had less and less payback. so I think our first our first campaign we did we had, uh, what was it, like seven times our annual giving over three years. Our second campaign, I think, was five. Our third one was four, and I th- and I th- and I think our last one was three or something like that. So yeah. we've seen decreasing effectiveness with them.
0: Yep, sounds about right. Uh, one of the things I remember from one of our first meetings, we're sitting in your office, and you had on your wall, and I don't know if you still do this, about nine pictures, small pictures of people and you refer to it as your wall of gratitude. I've never forgotten that. And I've thought about who would be on my wall of gratitude. Uh, besides you, of course. Um, of course. Brian, of course. Brian who, who, who's on that wall? Give us just one or two people that make the wall of gratitude for you.
1: Oh, man. I t- <laughs> you're trying to get me cry, Rusty. Is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to get me cry. <laughs> it's crying. a little early in the show to do that, but we'll yeah, see. <laughs> I, took the, I took those picks down. I probably should bring them back up. On my wall uh were people like denny patton hmm. he led me to christ he brought me into ministry and he's dying of cancer right now i had him on my podcast a few months ago and at that point i thought we, that he had only weeks to live god's given him a second wind and uh he's he really i'm i'm here a- anything that's ever happened in my life or through my life is all through him it's all his downline hmm. anybody across crossroads has been baptized anybody who's come to faith any ministry that's been helped financially, it's all because of him seeing a 15-year-old on a bench at Franklin Regional High School on in the football game and trying to build into me and reach me. So he's on there. Mm. Uh, I also had people on there like um, Joan Driscoll, Sharon Heinzman. These are mothers of kids who are in my student ministry when I was in Pittsburgh, and those mothers actually ended up mothering me. Mm. They ended up uh, giving me meals, endless meals, and giving me support. They, they were they were phenomenal folks for me. So uh, but John Guess is another one, first person I learned how to preach from, mm. Anglican Episcopal uh, priest. you know, he used to say, uh, he was an Englishman, and this is how he talks, just like that. And he and he' said, every time I go up in the pulpit, I take a two by four with me because I want to whack people in the head every time I go up there. And I heard that and thought, that's exactly what you do. You you whack me. You you do things to keep me awake and to hit me upside the head. And so that's a method of preaching I've tried to emulate. Taking a two by four, not just good concepts that are on a pillow. Yeah. Um. So those kind of folks have altered the trajectory of my life.
0: <laughs> I love that imagery with the two by four because that that sums up your life really really well. I didn't know that story, but now I look back and go, hmm. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense because you do a lot of things to push people. Uh, you've got a great podcast called The Aggressive Life. You have some controversial people on there that push people. You have a men's devotional, which we'll talk more about later, that pushes guys. You also have you have a, a limited series on, on Amazon Prime, I believe, Phantom Lake, yes, where you take a bunch of people on a motorcycle trip, totally different than what most pastors are doing with the use of television. Uh, you have so many great ideas. H- how do you decide where you're going to leverage that two by four? How do you decide what you're going to do, what you're not going to do?
1: Yeah, and it just came off of Amazon. That series called Phantom Lake, because Amazon re reorganized all their shows, so ours didn't make the cuts. They took it off. You can still get it on YouTube. I think there's an old line that a guy who used to work on staff here at Crossroads named Todd Henry clued me into. He said, he said, cover bands don't change the world. And that's true, but when it comes to ministry, when you start off, probably in anything, you need to be a cover band. There's there's the basics you have to do in ministry and you can't innovate too much. Like, if you're gonna start a church, you gotta learn things like how do you preach? Maybe you might wanna take somebody's outline. Maybe you want to just look at what's a a standard inspirational service for 65 minutes. There's standard things like how do you break the 200 barrier? How do you structure yourselves for breaking the 1,000 barrier? These things are just basic cover band moves that you have to be able to do. And I'll eventually, once you master those basic chords, if you will, or once you master, oh, I'm going to put a little cloud up in the sky, you know, Bob Ross, you know, he, he a bunch of people started painting because they started doing little birds and stuff like Bob Ross. They they copied him like a cover band. They everybody who pick up the guitar guitar they they copy U two songs. Once you get good enough to copy that and do something half decent, then you're qualified for the next levels where you start to innovate and go beyond that. Because if you all you're doing is the basic brushstrokes of ministry, it's not going to change the world. So eventually. You get to a place of, you know, I'm pretty good at motorcycles here, and I've seen guys come alive and I've been on a motorcycle trip with them, and I like watching Amazon series. Why don't we do one of those? Let's do an Amazon series around motorcycles and let's tie it into crossroads. No one ever done that before. Never never heard that before. Let's try that. You know, I'm really liking camping. And God makes something come alive with me when I'm camping. What if what if what if we went out and rented land and and had two thousand guys come out and poop all over the land? And we had, and we had fires, and we had games, and then we had some worship in a tent. What if we did that? Oh, okay. And what if we go buy three hundred fifty acres or four hundred twenty-five acres, to do it on our own? And what if we? Uh, recently, I was in Alabama, and there was a. Um, I was struck by the. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Basically, it's the National Lynching Museum, museum in Montgomery, Alabama, mm. where they they list everybody who was lynched, every African American or before they were. Allowed to be American, every black person in America who got lynched, and I went to the museum. I was like, my my goodness! And then I went to this great oyster house for dinner, and it was great. And I, I thought we should do a mission trip down here, have people come down here, go to the lynching museum, learn about racial history here, do some service projects and then slam some beers and do some oysters at night at this place. We should do that. So we got hundreds of people who are going down to do that in a couple weeks. We're starting that off. You, you don't build a good church that way because that's kind of the next level. But where, where I am right now is just trying to be sensitive to what God's whispering to you, what God's doing in you, because that's probably what He wants to do in your people. If you're a shepherd, a shepherd takes people where he's recently been because where he's been, he knows that's where the grass is. You don't just wander around until you find grass. You find out as a, as a pastor, oh, wow, I got refreshment here. Maybe God led me to this patch of grass so I could bring other people here. So that's kind of the phase of ministry I'm into right now, but mm. that wasn't the way it was in the early days.
0: Well, that, that's so good because, yeah, in the early days, it's just survival. Now it's about significance, which you're you're moving ahead into. Right. Tell me about some other fresh ideas that you're pondering. I mean, obviously, your online campus just exploded, of course, through COVID but you took it in a different perspective. It wasn't just a camera in the back of the room. I mean, you're you're going and you're filming in Shawshank. You're, you're filming out in the desert. You're interviewing Lecrae and Amy Grant. I mean, you're you're really pushing the boundaries there as far as thought process. Uh, what are some other things you're thinking through?
1: Well, you mean outside of online stuff, or you want me to elaborate on the online stuff? What are you? Anything you want, buddy. Oh, man, well. Yeah, the online stuff is a tough one. People say, oh, you're leaders. You're doing really well. You're really successful. I don't know that we are. I, I, we're trying to figure it out like everybody else is. We're, we're a little bit further ahead in casting off old paradigms than other people are. Hmm. But the success that we're having in online is not commensurate with the money we're spending on online yet. We are having success there, but you know, we'll see what happens. It's, it's a different thing if you want to give people who are in your church an online experience, that's really easy to do. You take what you have on the weekend and you just make sure it presents really well. If you're trying to reach people who are not in your church or not in the country and can never or not in one of your cities and, and will never be able to come inside of one of your buildings, that's an entirely different thing. Because people don't want to, they don't want to. We've learned they don't want to watch something that's in a building that tells them you'll never be here and this isn't created for you. Yeah, they want something that says you're the primary audience and we we want to meet you where you are. So that's why we do all the online stuff and all that stuff. So um, we're we're trying to figure it out there. And honestly, we've not figured it out. We've made some we've made some advances, but it's still uh it's still in, in innovation mode. As far as other things, I really feel like we're doing right now. I don't have any, I I wish I had some big new sexy project to tell you about, Rusty. I feel like Crossroads is more restarting right now. Uh, We're fighting Mm -hmm. aging. We're a church that's large and doing well financially, doing at least okay financially. And guess what? That's exactly what happens when churches start to age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you have people in their prime income earning years and they're developed enough spiritually to understand tithing. So you can be doing really, really well financially as a church. But right around the corner, pain and danger is coming because you're not reaching younger folks and you're not expanding your ministry reach. So that's what we're doing right now. I'm, I'm calling it, we're relaunching Crossroads. I'm trying to look at where we are now. When I came to Cincinnati in 1995, there was 11 people, $15,000 in the bank, and those 11 people guaranteed my $40,000 salary for a year. And we said, let's see if we can make it work. I said, based on that, I'll leave Pittsburgh and come to Cincinnati. Now... Now I'd go. Okay, we got, we got twelve campuses. We've got, you know, we've got. Uh, what do we have? We have four weeks' cash on hand in the bank. We've got a twenty-seven million dollar in change mortgage. We've got three hundred and seventy staff members. Uh, I make great money, as most mega church pastors do. If I were to come and start Crossroads right now. With all those assets and all those liabilities, would I do it? And I very clearly say, yeah, I would do it. But then the difficulty is, okay, you're starting it, so these are all assets, resources hmm. you have. It's not like keep the machinery going. Right. It's based on all of this. What would you do right now to restart Crossroads? Because culture is so tumultuous, we need to restart our churches, and um, that's a, that. That's all of my creative energy right now.
0: Where do you think, because, you know, I've listened to you talk th- through the pandemic and we've all lived some awful situations of people that we thought were with us, turn against us, the comments that are made, the, the sheer lies that people believe. Where do you think we go as a church, big C church from here, um, rather than just try to rekindle the past? You know, kind of what's next to try to, are, are, are we beyond just trying to repair the problems that we've seen in the church and in our country, or is it we got to go take new ground and
1: forget the past? Uh, The church is fractured, incredibly fractured. It's always been fractured. You know, you've had mainline denominations. You've had liberal churches, conservative churches, mega churches, house churches, Calvinist churches, Arminian churches, Baptist churches. I mean, it's always been fractured. But it's fractured now in a way that none of us thought, uh, because we used to think, well, basic evangelicalism, whatever that is, that group is kind of together. Well, that group is now fractured. It's fractured along political lines, COVID lines, race lines. I mean, crossroads. I thought we were pretty darn, pretty darn cohesive in terms of race, and we've had a lot of. We've got a lot of diversity in our mm-hmm. place and a lot of diversity in leadership and multicultural church, all that all that kind of stuff. But man, uh, no, we haven't been. People want to see more race discussions, people want to see less race discussions, people don't want to say what you're saying, people want to say you see you saying more things. People don't it's 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 incredibly, incredibly difficult. I was just with Ed Stetzer yesterday. who's basically the the Pope of evangelicalism, right? And uh, and he said he thinks that we are in for another three years of this, Mm -hmm. that this is like it was for churches in the 60s with MLK and Vietnam War and all the civil unrest that was a long, 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 long deal. And he thinks that's what we're in for another three years of this, which I actually— I was actually encouraged by that. Cause three years tells me, okay, there is light at the end of the tunnel, because if this is what the rest of my life at a ministry is, that's really gonna suck. Yeah. Right. Which I hate to say that because you know, you and I, Rusty, we're not getting burned at the stake for our faith. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not going hungry like missionaries are and uh, you know, wherever, pick pick your third world country. Uh we've got pretty comfy lives. Um, our, our level of suffering and difficulty is nothing like the early apostles. But for us, it's it's never been worse being in ministry. You you're you're always the bad guy. People you have brought to Christ and and have mentored for literally decades don't like me anymore and I'm not their friend because I said this and they disagree with that. Or I'm not saying this. Yeah. And they don't they, they think I'm just weak and I've lost my testicles right that's just the way it is right now and it's it's awful
0: hey let me pop in here for just a second and remind you make sure you sponsor a child go there right now compassion.com slash rusty sponsor a child today for the price of about two lattes you can change a child's life love for you to be a part of that and go to compassion.com compassion international and sign up compassion.com slash rusty and sponsor a child okay back to our conversation yeah, I've heard Stetzer talk about that before, the 60-year cycle that we go through. And I'm like you. When he said three years, I thought, okay, I'll just— Oh, you were the same way? Buckled up. You felt that, too? Yeah, that? yeah. I was like, okay, well, that, that sounds better than what I, what I thought it was. Right. Hey, tell me about leading men, because this is certainly a passion of yours. And if you listen to your podcast, if you read the devotional, which the devotional's great, and I, don't, I hesitate to call it a devotional. It's a reader for guys. It's short. It's black. Uh, Everything about it screams man. And you know the stats. Most men don't read another book after they get out of high school, and all men have a stack of books on their bedside table that their wife has given them with a bookmark two pages in. Um, But this one, this one's great. Um, What are we missing? What's the church missing when it comes to connecting with guys?
1: I think that the average leader in the American church is like a fish in water fish don't even think about water they're just in it it is what it is and I don't think we recognize how oriented our churches are to women it's just the water that we swim in and the way it's been forever and we're just not thinking things through in a different and fresh way these things, I must say, a lot of people have been saying a lot of these things for a long, long time. But in Islam, the most ardent adherents of Islam are men. In American Christianity, the most ardent followers of our churches are women. Now, there's, there's certainly good men who are laying their lives there. There are some, but we all know that the bulk of the ministry and everything is getting done by women. We had recently a women camp experience. Well, just last weekend, our women were out having women camp. We had women camp, man camp, couples camp, vet camp, father son camp, daughter gerbil camp. I mean, all, all kind of all kind of different camps. And like our volunteer ranks were decimated; they were utterly decimated. Yeah, because an in an inordinate amount of our volunteers are women. Yeah, that's that's where we are as churches, and it uh, and you see it in our music. You know the the nice love songs that we have that guys scratch their heads about like. I like the song. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. What a beautiful name it is. I, I heard that, and I like that song, by the way. I worship the song. I like it a lot. But I I don't want anyone calling Brian a beautiful name. Did Jesus want anyone calling his name a beautiful name? Did the, did, did the male disciples ever go to Jesus and say, Boy, Jesus, I got to tell you, your name is just beautiful. <laughs> I, I wish they would have led with... What a powerful name which is also in that song. What a wonderful name. But that's the lead song. It lead it's just something that that guys disconnect. We don't we don't want to sing songs about gazing in your face. The disciples never song sang songs to Jesus about I want to gaze in your face. I want to touch your face. I want No, that's that that's that speaks to women. It doesn't speak to men. Our songs tend to not speak to men. Our events are people sitting in a living room with a book on their lap. Our, so our small groups are, come to the living room and sit a book on our lap and talk concepts. You and I might be okay with that, Rusty, because we read way more than the average male does, but the average male doesn't read books. They don't want to sit in a freaking circle with a book in their lap and talk about it. They want to do something, and out of something they're doing, maybe something will pop out of that. So there's just a, a lot of things that we're not doing to speak the language of men that— uh, that we, that we need to do. Our, our, our most, uh, without question, the best thing we've done at Crossroads for a long time is we, we just recently broke a wild horse on stage. Did you see about that one or check that one out? <laughs> no. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so I met a buddy of mine, the buddy of mine, Todd Pierce. <laughs> You you really find that funny, aren't you? I
0: do. I just just when I think I can't th- hear anything new. Okay, let's do that. Yeah.
1: So Todd Pierce. Todd Pierce. He's in um he's in Idaho. He's got this ministry. He goes to prison and stuff, and he breaks a wild horse, and he's got spiritual things about it. And as I was hearing what he said, I said, hey, I'd like to have a couple of crossroads and do that. And he said, um, churches always say that, but no one ever does. I said, well, we will. And he said, uh, all right, I'm telling you, churches say they want to do it, but as soon as they look into the legality of it and this and that, uh, they they don't do it. So if you do, if you actually follow through, you'll be the first. Like, we will follow through. That's all you needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear. So I came back, I told all of our financial folks, our community pastors, I said, look, this weekend is happening. It's going to happen. Uh. I don't know if you want to tell insurance or not. If you're going to tell the insurance carrier and they shut us down that we're just going to break the law, we're going to do this. So you can figure out whether we're going to tell insurance or not, but we're going to do this. So we had three services on a Sunday. They brought a horse corral in. We had to find three different wild horses for each service. And Todd comes in, and there's sawdust on the floor, and the band plays along with it, and he can break a wild horse in under 60 minutes. Here's the thing, which is so stunning about this. Broken horses are healthier than wild horses, they live longer than wild horses, and they're stronger than wild horses. One guy on the back of a broken horse can outrun and corral an entire herd of wild horses because when it's been broken by a powerful human being, his capacity increases. That's what it's like with God and us. When we get broken by God, our capacity increases, our strength increases. And what Todd does when he brings people these horses in, all all these horses have pain and they have difficulty, and he tries to find where that pain is, where they were hit, where they've been clubbed, maybe where they were branded multiple times or something like that. And when he finds that pain area, that's what he presses into. Because that's the thing that if he can get the horse to trust him with that pain, that's the thing that's going to unlock it. Mm. It was like one of our best attended services weekends ever, and people were just boo-hooing all over the place. Um, I, I did that in large part because that was going to be a strong man move. Yeah. Now, women loved it as well. In fact, we're going to do it again next year. We did it on Father's Day. I realized Father's Day is not the right time uh, for a couple reasons. One is, if I did Father's Day again, the women start to feel slighted. They go, wait, how come you don't care for the women? How come you don't care? We do care for the women. We just thought Father's Day would be a cool thing. We're going to do a Mother's Day, one, so women know that we are as equal for, equally for mothers as we are for fathers. Uh, secondly, Mother's Day comes sooner. I want to do this again because I think we're going to go really big. And thirdly, mom can tell her husband, I want you to come to church with me this weekend. Yeah, where Father's Day he gets to do whatever the heck he wants to do. Yep. But mom says, "I want you to come to church with me," and you never come to church. Where he got something for him. So um, great idea. That's kind of one of those aggressive things. Like, yeah, what are we going to do that's beyond standard church? Because guess what, Rusty? If we want standard church, and by standard church I mean great music and great preaching, we though we need that, but that's just the table stakes. That just gets you into the game. Yep. But we've got to be doing things with our churches that are outside the norm in order to stoke the imaginations of men. That's fantastic.
0: All right, got to get Todd Pierce's number.
1: I, yep. The craziest thing we ever did with animals, animal
0: is we had a lion outside for kids to see. Hilarious, Brian, because, I mean, these, these are working actors out here yeah. in L.A. So, you know, the lion rolls in in a, in a motor coach, you know, air-conditioned cage, They put him out in this pen and all I'm thinking is, if that thing gets loose, I'm on CNN, you know? Yeah, right. And all these kids have surrounded the cage to see the lion and what's a cat do when he gets into a new territory? he just walks around and sprays everybody <laughs> <laughs> that's good it was awesome that's great
1: yeah john Acuff. you know he had that book stuff christians like oh yeah i don't know if you're oh so he says what do christians christians love live animals they do he love says, live animals says, there's nothing that's gonna drive the church down the street out of business faster than you having a live camel. you do that your church is growing <laughs>
0: Listen, I, I love that podcast you had with him and I had him on our show too. And we talked about worship leaders and things gone wrong on stage. And it was, it was really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't, I don't wanna waste your time. So we're gonna go right to the lightning round, which is something that's known for uh, from the Aggressive Life Podcast with Brian Tome. Uh, I'm gonna give you a variety of questions. You get one to two sentences to answer. I've tipped you off to some of these. So I think you kind of know where I'm going, but here we go. Two to three guests that you've loved on your show.
1: <sighs> I loved Denny Patton, who I talked about because I cried a lot in that, on that show, and other people did as well. I loved um, I loved Francis Collins from the National Institute of Health. And I'll just go with the easy one and say uh, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Okay, who outpaces you? You mean... Personally professionally what what, what do you name it they,
0: who do you look ahead and go, man, I want to keep up with them
1: hmm. that answer would have changed over the years based on where I was it's that's an easy answer I'd just say Tim Keller okay, not because his ministry is anything like mine. it's not, but we got him and Billy Graham for people who ended their public ministries and ended well, so at fifty five that's the kind of pacing I'm looking at right now.
0: Well said. Uh, if men could do one thing to improve their marriage, what would it be?
1: Go on double dates. Okay. Why double dates? <sighs> okay, good. So I can get off the lightning round. I can, get, yeah, yeah, good. I, I'm going to let you have that one. Uh, when your mar- First of all, when your marriage is in, a, is in a difficult spot, you don't need to be spending one-on-one time with your spouse. It's just going to get worse. You're going to get into more fights or you're going to be more bored, and the more bored you are with one another, the more you're going to second-guess your ma- your marriage. Um, when I've been in really tough spots, it's time to dial up. Like, it's get out with other couples because then conversation flows more freely. Hmm. It's less pressuresome. You can maybe fall back in love with one another. Like The key to virtually every problem a man has is anti-loneliness. The loneliness epidemic is massive for men. So the key spiritual formation tool for men is picking the right friends and spending time with those friends. That's more important than reading the Bible or praying. Hmm. I know people would want to defrock me for that, but that's what I believe. <laughs> and and then when it comes to your marriage, it's leaning back into that friend thing. You know, uh, hanging out with your wife with a with a guy friend and his wife, or friends that you have in a in a dating situation can just be a safe thing for your marriage and, um, and maybe stoke it to the next place. That's a great answer.
0: I'm glad you expanded on that. Okay, what would you tell your younger self?
1: Your family relationships are the only relationships that are going to matter long-term.
0: It's hmm. good. Last mistake and what you learned from it, just in ministry.
1: Uh, I had an outsider come to Crossroads and talk about Transgender. And it was the worst mistake of my ministry. First time broaching that very sensitive, divisive topic should have been done by me and not an outsider.
0: Okay. Uh, one book that everybody should read, besides Move.
1: Uh, everybody. Hmm. The Bible. <laughs> What the Bible doesn't count? You're not you're not counting the the Bible is a book that should be that should be read. Oh
0: my yes. Besides the best the best selling book of all time, <laughs> what would it be?
1: Oh my oh my Let me sum it up. The books are like books are like I, I, I'm accused of being the goldfish. That's what they call me because I have a really bad memory. I I, I have very short term memories is what I have, and so I, I'm tending to be really hot on. The most, just sort of recent book that I've read. But as you say that, I think uh, I think I would probably go with the classic by Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. Oh yeah, okay. I think it I think it just puts the basics in a very fresh, moving way. Good answer.
0: All right, these last two are simple. You live in Cincinnati. So is it Skyline or Montgomery Inn? Montgomery Inn. Mm, okay. Uh, and you're from Pittsburgh, so Bengals or Steelers? Steelers. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> <Not even> close. <laughs> you yeah, have to like,
1: expand on that one, okay? Let me let me expand on that one here, if I can. I, I moved from Pittsburgh saying I'm going to become a Bengals fan because I'm called to Cincinnati and that's just the way it is. About year three, when the Bengals played the Steelers, I was shocked that I spontaneously celebrated when the Bengals had an interception. I was like, wow, okay, I switched here. That was, that was really good. The problem, is, the problem is the Steelers have a history of making decisions to win and serve their fans. The Bengals have a history of wanting to make money and screw their fans over. That's just, that's just the history of it. And so um, – yeah, you, 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 won't, you, you just won't find rabid fans since then. You'll find some people go to the games. But it's not like in Pittsburgh where the entire city shut down. It's not like in Pittsburgh where it didn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, gay, straight, rich, poor, live in the city, live in the suburbs. The Steelers were a unifying element to that city. Yeah. And to come to Cincinnati and see that not be the case is just kind of, kind of a bummer. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow, I don't follow Steel, the Steeler games. I haven't watched a full Steeler game forever. But, you know, talk about what brings you more joy, it was definitely the Steelers. Yeah, that's so good. All right, Brian, where can people find you? You find me at briantome.com.
0: Awesome, man buddy this has been so fun thank you so much for pouring into our audience and just keep keep breaking wild horses man i love that my pleasure rusty wow that was exciting i just i'm just overwhelmed with some of his ideas and even though i recorded this a few uh weeks ago, I have really been chewing on some of these concepts for a long time, and I just loved his insightfulness, his passion, and his vulnerability. So make sure that you check out Brian's resources. His devotional called Move is so great, especially for guys. If you got a man in your life that doesn't read anything and you want him to read something about the Bible, get this book for him, simply called Move, and it's really short. Uh, really short reads for each day, and it's it's winnable and it's doable and it's great. So um, make sure you uh, share this podcast with somebody else. Let them know uh, how helpful this was to you. And if you get a moment, give us a review or a rating. That would mean a lot. Next week, we're back with a guy that decided to start a nonprofit. And some of you out there are thinking, boy, I'd like to lead simple by starting a, non- a nonprofit. This is a conversation you're going to love. As we talk with Charity Waters' Scott Harrison, uh, it's going to be really, really helpful. So make sure that you're with us next week. Make sure you share this with a friend. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.